When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. My man Michael Lombardi being put through the grinder with an office move. We're going to get to that in a second and why moving is the worst, but let's kick it off with the football talk. First round draft picks, and we're going to look at the current team situation and how is this looking? Because OTAs are now underway. we got lots of new quarterbacks, including Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Now, Marvin Jones Jr. on Lawrence said, obviously it's been a short time, but the guy's gifted. You can see it when he throws the ball well. You've gotten some work. You wonder as far as where Jacksonville is going to be. We all know, Mike, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a great player. He was an outstanding college player. Is he going to be a transcendent player? We don't know. Here's where the questions come in. Urban has zero NFL coaching experience. Let's start there. How does that plan to how Trevor Lawrence is going to be coached slash managed? Well, you know, I think, look, Urban's got to sit down. You know, one thing we have to start off with is whoever is running the organization, and I'm talking about the coaches, not the general managers. They've got to be the chief figure-out officer. And this month of June, before everyone goes on vacation in two weeks, the month of June is really about trying to understand what this player is good at doing and what this player is not good at doing. So everybody has this giant playbook, right? You know, it looks like the old Manhattan phone directory, right? Well, not every player can run it. So the job of these training camps is to try to figure out, as the chief figure out officer, what his strengths are. Here's what he's really good at. And in three weeks from now, when that's over with, you write down, you sit in your office, because look, when you're the head coach of, a, of an NFL team, you, there's no days off. You can't get away from it. You write down, here's what he does really well. Here's what he's not very good at doing. And here's what we're going to need a lot of work on in the summer. And then you plan accordingly based on that. So what you're doing right now with Trevor Lawrence is you're collecting data. You're collecting as much data. You're throwing as much stuff to him as you possibly can. Because then you want to be able to say, okay, here's the menu. Now, the best thing that Jacksonville has going for him is there is no competition. They have nobody behind them. So they don't have to worry about, oh, we've got to get some veteran guy ready just in case. No, they don't, they don't really care about that. You know, Gardner Minshew will get the reps whenever he gets the reps. That's, that's the end of the story. You'll get, you know, your, whatever's left on the bone you can have. You know, and C.J. Beathard, whatever's ever left on the bone you could have. Jake Luton, whatever left on the bone you could have. That's it. So the, the, the number one requirement for most head coaches is to figure out how to disperse the reps. So you go out to these OTA days, Trevor Lawrence, you go out there, you have two hours and 20, 25 minutes on the field, right? Say you have, you know, you're going to have 30 plays of team. You're going to have 10 plays, uh, 15 plays of seven on seven. You're going to have an inside run period. You know, you're going to do everything you can do. How many does Lawrence get? 
How many does Gardner Minshew get? And then what does Beathard and Luton split? And then that's what he has to do every day. So when you go out to practice, you know, he's got to be able to say, look, Urban, tell Bevel, hey, I want this guy get nine out of 10 reps in every period. And that's how you do it. And I think that's ultimately the decision of what the Jacksonville Jaguars offense will look like. It can't be determined until after we collect some data. So the good news is you're collecting data. He's obviously the bell cow. He's the leader of the team. Whatever you need, we're good to go. But how about the fact that there's no um, secession plan? Like there's no veteran quarterback there on the roster to help tutor him. Does that matter at all, Mike, or is that overrated? Well, I think if you're if you're Urban Meyer, you really don't want a veteran talking to him because you want to be the only guy talking to him. You know, the quarterback shouldn't be coached by a group of people. I mean, the quarterback shouldn't be coached by a monument, like a, a committee where, you know, you got all these 17 people are in the quarterback's ear. Like, what, what should happen is Urban Meyer should make it very clear. There's only two people who talk to Trevor Lawrence on the coaching staff, me and Bevel. That's it. That's it. I don't want anybody else talking to the kid. I don't want anybody else putting ideas in it. You've got to really censor the noise. Daniel Kahneman has just written this great book called Noise, and it's about how to keep all the distractions out of your life. And that's a job of the chief figure out officer. He's got to make sure he's keeping control of the noise. So by not having a veteran to the average fan, well, that looks bad. No, because it might look good because you don't want anybody talking to this kid. So that's the situation for Jacksonville. No one's going to interfere. It'll be urban giving what he needs to give Trevor Lawrence and make it happen. For Zach Wilson and the New York Jets, Michael LaFleur said he was blown away by Wilson's eagerness to study film. The more film you get to watch of the guy, the more he wants to take it in. It's unique. It's cool to watch him sit there, stay focused, process all this information we are trying to give him. And Chris Sims said, I'm all in on Zach Wilson. His talents are special. I think his throwing is out of this world special. He's got Rodgers, Mahomes-type qualities that really pop out. I think it's the perfect marriage with the Jets. Are you as optimistic as Chris Sims about what Wilson can do with the Jets? Well, I mean, I think I, I'm not optimistic in, in the sense of, of they've improved the offensive line. I think Tucker and Beckton on the left side of the line will be really good. You know, and I think they've got some skilled players. Corey Davis, the kid they signed from Tennessee, he's already hurt. You know, do they have any way to handle this offense? It'll be a high play action pass offense. It's going to be the Kyle Shanahan offense. And I think Zach Wilson will do really good in that. I think it's going to take some time. Once again, you know, if you're Robert Salah, you can't be coaching the defense. You got to be coaching the entire team here. And you've got to make sure Wilson gets into all the reps. James Morgan, the kid they drafted in the fourth round, he can get a few reps, but that's it. I mean, that's it. Every Wilson's got to get all the reps, and you've got to then figure out what he does well. Now, the good thing for the 40, for the Jets are is this is going to be a heavy outside zone run team. It's going to be a heavy play-action pass team. And so it's not going to be a really complex offense for him to go back. It's going to be very few drop-back passes. Even when they get to third down, it's going to be fairly simple for him. So I think he's going to be able to be adaptive within that. I think it's going to come down to how good the talent is around him. And then you look at the talent around him, the Jets notoriously bad at managing first-round quarterbacks. What did you think that comes down to, Mike, when you do an autopsy? Is that bad coaching? Is that bad personnel decisions? Why is it when the Jets have... I'm not just going to point it just Sam Darnold. We can look at their past history. Haven't been good with first-year quarterbacks. What do they need to change? Well, I, I think it's the, I think it's the problem with the NFL is because we're, they're, you're so busy throwing the whole playbook at the quarterback. You want them to run your offense. When it's a little bit like baseball, you cover Major League Baseball, right? You got to figure out the baseball team 
in Boston wants to build their team around the stadium. Well, quarterbacks are like baseball stadiums. You got to build your team around what their strengths are. And you got to collect that data as you're going forward. I mean, you just can't plug this player in and say, okay, he's going to start and run my offense. That's not what you do. You know, that's not exactly what you do. I mean, Walsh took time to study what Montana did well. Yes, he ran the West Coast offense, but he ran variations of it. Brady's run his offense, but there's things that Brady wants to do that he likes to do. And it takes time to be able to do that. You come up with the offense that fits the quarterback, not the quarterback has to fit into the offense. And I think that's one of the big things that Jets have never done. They keep changing coordinators as if, if that's the problem, which it is. But you got to find some way to fit the player. It's what happened with Peyton Manning. I mean, they brought Tom Moore in. Tom Moore ran this offense, and the offense evolved around Manning. That's what you have to do. Evolve the offense around Zach Wilson. Evolve the offense around Trevor Lawrence and see where it goes. You want consistency, you want patience, and you want coaches you can believe in. I think with the San Francisco 49ers, we know that Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. So for Trey Lance, both Jimmy G and him are competing for the starting job. Garoppolo's money isn't guaranteed until week one. 49ers CEO Jed York said he has no problem playing both quarterbacks and that paying Garoppolo is an investment in both Trey Lance and the team's future. Garoppolo is going to make $24 million in base salary this season. Are they being authentic here, Mike, saying they're okay to pay a guy $24 million to be a backup if Lance is better than him? Uh, I don't know if Lance can be better than him this year because what's going to happen is, is you're going to, they're going to go to the line of scrimmage and they're going to have a bunch of things that they're going to want the quarterback to execute at the line. And can Lance do all that? Not that Lance is dumb or anything. It's just going to take a lot. There's a lot of things going into it. You know, and I think that that's going to hold him back from playing fast. I think that's the number one thing you want these quarterbacks to do is play fast. You want them to be quick-minded and also with their decisions, but also with their ability to handle the vocabulary, get them in the right play, make the right checks, understand the defense, all that. You know, it's funny. When you mentioned Zach Wilson loves to watch tape, that's one of my pet peeves in life. It's like, you know, fans watch tape. You got to study tape. There's a difference between watching tape and studying tape. Like, I watch the 76ers play basketball. I don't study the 76ers play basketball. Like, there's a huge variance between those two things. And so, I think that's really ultimately takes the study of the tape takes a long, long time. And I think that's going to be why Jimmy's in the perfect position to be there and to let him be the guy. I think if they would have taken some, if Mac would have been there because of the level of play that Mac was in, I could see him being able to play quicker than Lance. I think Lance will have a role within the offense. I think the one thing that's really wrong is Kyle Shanahan was telling friends that, you know, he feels like he needs to change his offense because people are catching on to it. Well, no one's caught on to the Vikings offense. It's the same offense as his. So I'm not sure that's the right thing. Now, I think you'll see more quarterback movements when Lance comes in. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So it looks like Lance will get like a legitimate redshirt year. Meantime, Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace made it clear publicly. Andy Dalton is a starter right now. That's right, the Red Rifle. ESPN's Dan Graziano reports the Bears are open to the idea of Fields starting week one if he beats out Dalton in training camp. Don't forget, Nick Foles is also on the roster. So the Bears right now, I was looking, my brother was telling me Justin Fields is like top five most popular jerseys sold in football right now. The Bears are starving to have an actual quarterback. There's no way in the world, Mike, 
<laughs> Andy Dalton is the guy. I mean, again, if Fields looks terrible, then I get that. Fine, Andy Dalton will start the season. But this thought that Nagy and Pace are making clear that Dalton's a starter right now, right now is the operative term, right? They can't wait to let Justin Fields take over. I would think they'd have to get him in, right? I mean, because they don't run the same offense. And they don't have any any ability to to do anything. I mean, here's the issue. Nick, Nick Foles is only on the team because he has $9 million guaranteed over the next two seasons. He's got $4 million guaranteed this year. He's got $5 million guaranteed next year, okay? And he's got an $8 million base salary between roster and base salary. So that's $8 million. So he's got $9 million coming to him. Who's taking that contract on? No one. So they can't get rid of him. They can't cut him. So he's going to be the, he's going to be the most expensive third-string quarterback in the history of football because of where they are. And they can't cut him. They got to pay him $9 million. So there's no sense. So, you know, for me, this really comes down to reps. It comes down to Matt Nagy being the chief figure out officer. How do I get this guy ready to play quickly? Because Fields is not going to run the offense that Dalton runs. I mean, it's not going to be the same thing. You got to have more quarterback movement in it. You got to have more play action. You got to get him under center. You know, I found funny today when I went to red zone this morning, I saw that uh, Greg Roman admitted that he needs to put he needs to put Lamar Jackson under center. Like like seriously, I've been screaming this for a year. Like what helps young quarterbacks more than anything is being under center. Because when you're under center, the defense thinks there's going to be some form of a run and you could separate the defense with play action. And by separating the defense with play action, it makes it easy for the quarterback to read high low. You either throw the ball here or you throw the ball there. It's not that complicated, right? The defense lures up, it separates. Now, you know, obviously, if you see the strong safety down and he could, you get a run blitz on first down, you got to handle all that stuff. But the reality of it is, is when you're under center, you have a much easier chance on first down, particularly, to make explosive plays. So the Justin Fields offense is going to need to be some under center, too. And I think that this is where Matt Nagy's got to earn his keep. He's got to figure out what does he want to do with the quarterback? How does he want to run the offense around Justin Fields and see what happens? Listen, as long as Justin Fields is vertical, he'll be starting sooner rather than later in Chicago. I mean, there's no way. I, I can't imagine a scenario in which Justin Fields, as long as he can breathe, he'll be the starting quarterback by week four at the latest or whatever it's going to be because Dalton's not going to be their guy long term. Mac Jones now with New England. Interesting situation. Jones versus Cam Newton. So Cam is penciled in as a week one starter. We'll see what he can do now. They've got receivers. They've got online help. As you and I have discussed here on the shuffle, Patriots have spent a ton of money trying to improve things. But again, as you just pointed out, Mike, there's different styles here when it comes to Dalton and Fields. Different style of quarterbacking. Cam and Mac have a different style. Now, according to some of these sources, Cam has the locker room, but Mac is going to be the guy waiting to take the keys at some point. How do you think? And again, you know Bill Belichick better than anybody. How does he approach this situation? Well, I mean, Bill's going to base this on competition, right? And so what's going to have to happen? So the preseason games are going to have to be where the, the true measuring stick becomes. It's the same thing with Justin Fields. And one of the biggest problems that teams have in preseason games is, especially when you're dealing with two quarterbacks, is they have two sh- they have a shitty second line. And so you can't ever evaluate the backup quarterback because you don't want to play your starting line. But then when you go to these second five guys, they're so shitty that the defense looks so much better that the quarterback can't get any real work. So you've got to kind of balance that. So you're going to have to give Cam Newton reps with the first line. You're going to have to give Mac Jones reps with the second line. Now, Belichick's, what, you know, his second line is always going to be better 
than most people because that's what he knows he's got two quarterbacks. He's already ahead of the game on that. But if you're in Chicago and you're shitty in the first line and you put Andy Dalton out there on the first line and then you come in with Justin Fields, I mean, it's going to be hard for Fields to be successful because he's going to be running around, running for his life half the time because the shitty backups are in the game. So the the only way you could really win the starting job in New England is to be is to be good in the games. And I'm not sure that there's going to be enough exposure in the three preseasons. Now, New England will probably, I don't know if this, is fir- if this has been firmed or not, but I'm sure New England's going to practice against, you know, the Giants or Philadelphia. They play them in the preseason. They have relationships with both teams. They don't play both teams during the season. So those practices are going to go a long, long way to determining the competition and how they look in those practices. And then as it transposes into the game. I don't see Mac Jones being the starting quarterback on opening day. I think Cam, because he's in the system, because he's more comfortable in the system, I think he'll be able to adapt and he'll be ahead of the curve and that'll keep Mac Jones on the bench. You wonder how long a leash Cam's going to have a season ago. Obviously, he was disappointing. Did not have as much talent around him. I recognize that, but I'm with you. I think Cam starts, but I think if by week four, week five, he's struggling, Belichick won't hesitate to go to Mac. What do you think? No doubt. And I think when you use the term struggling AD, I think, Obviously, you know, I think obviously the struggling is, can he make the throws in the passing game? Right. I think that's really the critical thing. Can he throw the ball? If it, I mean, we know Cam's going to be able to run. I mean, they won seven games last year because they could run the ball. Is he going to be able to make the throws to these new receivers, to who the guys are? I think that's critical. All right, let's do some veteran quarterbacks moving over to new teams. So Matthew Stafford is now with the Rams. He's acquired in that trade that sent Jared Goff to Detroit. Head coach Sean McVay said he's a joy to be around. The consistency he comes into work with makes it really fun. Running back Cam Akers said everybody has already bought in from day one. He came right in and commanded the leadership of that team. I think that's the biggest thing here, right? You look at Stafford versus Goff and you go, I just have more confidence in Matthew Stafford, bigger arm, more confidence. I mean, I just, I don't know anybody, Mike, who doesn't feel like this is a significant upgrade. No doubt. And I think the other part of the upgrade is the fact that you can run a drop back pass game. I mean, you can legitimately run a drop because Stafford can throw drop back passes. When you watch the Rams on offense, it was either play action and when they got into a drop back pass game, it wasn't deep enough. It's the same thing that happens to San Francisco. Their drop back pass game is almost non-existent. So, you know, with with Stafford, it opens up a whole new offense, really, for what they want to do. So I, I, I think to me, as long as the Rams stay healthy, I think it's going to be in good shape. I agree, and they're a very top-heavy team, meaning they don't have a lot of depth, but they've got stars on offense and defense. If one or two of those pieces get hurt, they're in trouble. But if their top players stay healthy and excel, maybe they could be a Super Bowl threat. Carson Wentz is trying to redeem himself with Indianapolis. Reports are Wentz fitting in well, organizing workouts in between the team's off-season program and the start of training camp, as well to bond more with his new teammates. I think Wentz is going to play better. I mean, listen, he was awful with the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a bad offensive line. He had a horrible game planning from Doug Peterson. They never ran the ball, no receivers. We got all that. But I don't think he's going to be great. But I think he's going to be better. The question for me to you, Mike, is this. Nobody else, I think, has more confidence they can fix this than Frank Reich. We know that's where Wentz had his most success. But is Carson Wentz ultimately going to be an upgrade over Phillip Rivers? I think he is, A.D. I really do. I'm on this. I'm on the train because I've seen him do it. In 17, he was the MVP of the league. When they gave him a little bit of balance, when he had a play-action pass game, when they weren't trying to run all the RPOs. I mean, remember, when the Eagles' offense morphed, when they— when when Wentz got hurt in Los Angeles 
and 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 Foles came in. They tried to keep running the same offense, and it didn't work. And then Dougie's after the Raider game, they won. They they beat the Raider game at home. I mean, it was an ugly game, and and Foles couldn't do anything. They went back and just went all RPOs. And then then for whatever reason, they just basically stayed RPOs all the time. I think they're going to bring him back to what he does really well. They're not going to put the burden of responsibility completely on his shoulders. He's got to take some of it. He's a quarterback. But I think they'll be able to build a team. I think Reich, what Reich does better than most people is he figures out what his quarterback can do. And then he runs the offense, which is based on that. He's not just calling plays like Dougie was. He's running the offense that fits what he does. And I think they're coaching him to the points within the system. It's one thing to run an offense. It's the other thing. You got to coach the system. You got to be able to be detailed in the coaching to make sure the players understand what they're expected of on each and every play. You know, if the safety does this, we're doing that. If here's what happens, this is what we're trying to do. The deep, the coaching is in the details. It isn't just you're going to run these plays. And I think Wright does a good job of coaching those details. Definitely a great coach. Ryan Fitzpatrick now with Washington, signed with them to play last season in Miami. The gift that keeps on giving. I mean, this is his ninth team. He's in a one-year deal. He isn't the long-term solution. So what is Washington going to do for the future? Well, what is Fitz going to do? He played well last year before getting benched for Tua. But what exactly are the goals here for Fitzpatrick and Washington? I think it's just make plays. I think the Washington offense wants to be more explosive, throw it down the field, you know, two play drives, three play drives, get the ball in the end zone, make plays and use their offensive talent to make plays and not rely on 12 play, 15 play drives, play action, pass it. And, you know, we know this about Fitzy. He can get hot and he can get cold. You know, and when he's hot, he's tough to play with. And I think ultimately that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to win the game, get the get in front. I think for Washington, more than anything, the talent of their defense lies in their ability to rush the passer. If they can win the first half, if after the four mark, four game mark in the NFL next year, after they play four games, and the Washington football team is is in the top five of first half point differentials, then we know that that's Fitzy doing a good job scoring in the first half. That's really ultimately what what Washington's challenge is. We need to score in the first half. All right, limit turnovers. They've got a great defense. Run the ball. Do all that Fitzpatrick can do to kind of make that a, a seamless transition for them. Three more quarterbacks, and we'll take a quick stop and talk about Julio Jones and what's happened with the Falcons. Plus. Are the Packers calling the bluff on Aaron Rodgers? Jared Goff with the Lions. Head coach Dan Campbell. I've liked his mannerisms. I liked his command in the huddle. He's progressing kind of where you want him to progress at this point. Stafford carried the Lions and he was healthy. You and I are not huge on Goff. I think he regressed after their Super Bowl run. They relied heavily on Todd Gurley. So let's put it this way. What are the expectations for Goff? Because I don't think anyone thinks he's better than Stafford. Well, I think they're going to run the ball because Anthony Lynn's calling the plays. I think they're going to run the ball, go play action, and hope they can protect them. And, I mean, they should be able to protect them a little bit better with Sewell at right tackle. You know, they should be much better in their offensive line. And if you can protect Goff and play from in front, I mean, that's the other thing about Goff is he's got to play from in front, too, because when he's and he's behind and he has to go drop back pass and he's got to sit in there and read it out, and it becomes a little bit problematic for him. But, you know, we know this with Anthony Lynn. They're going to run the ball. They're going to use Swift. They're going to use Jamal Williams in the backfield, you know, and they're going to run behind Sewell. They're going to run behind Decker, you know, the, the Ragnall, their offensive line. I mean, they've got a lot invested. They have a first two. They have three ones in the offensive line, a three and a four. I mean, look, if they can't do things at their offensive line, they didn't draft good. So that's what I think they're going to do. And they have, and they have Vitae as a backup, as a swing tackle. Think about that. 
They've got significant capital in their offensive line. They should be able to run the ball, play action, and that's how Goff's going to have success. The problem is defensively. They're going to get behind on defense. They're not good enough on defense. It's going to be a problem. I mean, Aaron Glenn's going to have to really do a good job of kind of masquerading this defense. If they don't have enough team speed, which they don't, which has been a big problem in Detroit for three or four years, if they don't have enough team speed, how do they play from in front? How do they allow Goff to be successful playing from in front? I think that's the problem. I think it's a it's a misaligned team with the quarterback. Misaligned is a good use of word. Sam Darnold and the Panthers. You love Matt Rule. Darnold struggle with the Jets, especially turnovers. 39 picks in 38 games. But I feel like you're confident Sam Darnold can turn things around with the Panthers. Is that just because he's got a great running back, good offensive line, better team, better coach? What does it come down to? Well, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna utilize his skill set. I think Joe Brady's smart enough to say, okay, here's the reality. Here's what Darnold does really well. Here's what we have to do. McCaffrey's in the backfield. They're gonna use McCaffrey. They got Chubba Hubbard that they drafted. You know, they're they've got enough weapons. I mean, their offensive line's gotta play better. Little's gotta be able to hang in there at left tackle, or Cameron Ewing's gotta come in at left tackle. But I think for Darnold, it's just that, that if you took every game Darnold's played in his career and watched the tape and said, Sam, if you eliminate these three plays in this game, if you eliminate these two plays in that game, if you eliminate these plays and just put the reel together and say, Sam, all we got to do for you to be a, a really good player is eliminate these three plays. Just take these three plays out of the game. Take these four out of the game. You got to focus on the plays that he just gives stupid. He does stupid things. And when you do that, he can be effective. And that's where you're looking for his effectiveness from Darnold. And then speaking of Carolina, a guy who was there, Teddy Bridgewater, is now with the Denver Broncos. 15 touchdowns, 11 picks last season, underwhelming stats. He's going to compete with Drew Locke for the starting quarterback. If you're the coach there, Mike, who do you like better, Bridgewater or Locke? I know it depends on how they play in training camp, but right now, gut feeling, who's the better quarterback? I think it's Teddy Two Gloves, and I think Teddy Two Gloves is going to do exactly what they want him to do, not turn the ball over. I mean, Denver's a really good team. Denver's got a really good team. They just don't have a quarterback. And I think they're going to play well on defense. I mean, they've got four legitimate corners when you count Callahan in, in their corner situation in terms of their ability to cover. People are saying that Von Miller looks like the Von Miller of old, you know, with the year off that he had last year, rushing the passer to go along with Bradley Chubb. I mean, they've got Sertan, they've got Darby, they've got Fuller, and, you know, they got Bryce Callahan who could still cover. I mean, they've got four legitimate corners. They got pass rushers. They should be much better defensively. And then offensively, they've got weapons. Maybe Denver ends up cleaning house. Who knows? Did they get Aaron Rodgers? Then maybe Locke and Bridgewater are both not on that roster. But speaking of cleaning house, before we take a quick break, you, Mike, changed offices this week. That's right. Office space with Michael Lombardi. And it makes me think about how you and I have discussed before. Time is money. All right. I just happily paid 50 bucks to this guy to mow my lawn. For years, I would do it myself. And I'm like, look at all the time that I've wasted, the aggravation I've wasted. You right now are exhausted. You're depleted. You got your grandkids, Mikey and Dominic. Could you have paid someone to move the office for you? Is that possible? I did. I did. I paid somebody to move it, but the, you still have to set it up. You still got to, you know, I went through all, I got all my notebooks I had to bring over here. You know, I took a walk down memory lane, looking at some of the Browns notebooks. Oh, you know what I found the other day? I got to, I got to send it to them too. I found, you know, everybody who ever worked at the Browns, always talks about, I worked for Bill Belichick. I worked for Bill Belichick. Nice. If you read Mike Tannenbaum's bio, he always says, I worked for Mike, I worked for Bill Belichick, right? 
Because when he was at the Browns, I worked for Bill Belichick. He it would never say work for Michael Lombardi because God forbid, you know, that does that doesn't have enough stigma or attached to it, right? <laughs> so I'm going through all my notebooks. I'm going through all my notebooks, and I see the notebook that Mike Tannenbaum sent me when he was a student at Tulane, getting ready to graduate from law school. And I and I kept it. I, I got to send it to him. I'm going to send it to him. You know, I got a pictures of it. I'll post it when we post this video. I'll, I'll, I'll post it online when we when we post this uh, when we post the GM shuffle later today. But anyway, you go through and you find stuff, Ad. And it took a while. I mean, literally, I I moved. I moved on. I my one office was on Eighth and Asbury at the corner of, and I moved like seven buildings across the street, down the street. So I'm literally out there in shopping carts, <laughs> wheeling shopping carts across with full of notebooks. I got Jerry Rice's picture. I mean, people are thinking I was a shopping bag person, but when I found the Tannenbaum notebook, I'm like, yeah, okay, you worked for Bill Belichick. Here it is, dear Michael Lombardi. You know, he didn't write the letter to Belichick. He wrote the letter to me. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's great stuff. And I'm with you. Listen, as you're moving, hey, a little bit of memory lane, of course. Oh, I didn't know I had this, didn't know I had that. Imagine like someone like Sinatra, like we love Frank. Imagine when he had to move houses, how much stuff that guy must have had. I don't even know how he could have done it. Uh, All I would love to do is like, I would just love, like, who's got all his, who's got all his cufflinks? Like that's who's got the pinky ring that he wore, you know, who's got all the orange scarves. Like, that's what I would like to know. Like I I'm all in for buying that. I, I, in fact, I got Francis Albert on my wall here. I got right next to the Sopranos. I got a picture of the Sopranos that I had that, that I've got big puss, Tony. I got, uh, I got Chrissy. I got, uh, Paulie, I got uh, Hashi, I got Silvio and Furio. So this must be from season two, right in front of Satriel's. It's all signed too. It's all signed. I got. I don't know how the hell I got it. It's awesome. That's awesome. Even the fact that you have Hesh involved there. I mean, that's just incredible. I love Hashi. Yeah, I love Hashi. Yeah, she's great. I love him with the ponies, ripping off music artists. You know, don't negotiate with these. <laughs> don't negotiate with these desert people. They'll take your ass every time. <laughs> Coming up next, not many teams wouldn't want a guy like Julio on their team. Some players making some really big public pushes. Is it working? Plus, are the Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, is that melodrama just going to be a big old bluff? We'll find out next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. A lot of players want Julio down by the schoolyard. That's right, Julio Jones. We all know he's not going to be the Atlanta Falcons. 
I mean, you've got uh, Shannon Sharp calling him on Fox. So I'm, I'm out of there. Okay, I don't want to go to Dallas either. Bottom line is this. Now teams want him. This whole Julio thing is such a saga, right? I mean, it, th- there's a report out there that the Falcons want a first-round pick. Oh, no, AD. They don't want a first-round pick. They would gladly take a seventh. Like, how is that fucking news? Like, seriously. Oh, they want a first-round pick? Of course. You know? I mean, you know, everybody wants the most they can get for any player. But there's the one that I really love. The Falcons have been offered a one for Julio Jones. If the Falcons have been offered a one for Julio Jones, he would have been traded by now. Okay? And after they report that the Falcons were offered a one, the next thing is the Falcons are talking to Seattle about Julio Jones. Well, they don't have a one. So how can you say the Falcons won a one and they're talking to a team that doesn't have a one? Or you could say, well, they'll trade their one the year after. That's a two. You, the longer you wait for ones, they become less valuable. Right? So don't, don't tell me, don't tell me like all these rumors about Julio. Here's the reality. Nobody wants to take on the $37 million of the contract and then have to pay a first-round pick for him. So they're not going to get a one. Could they get a two? Got to deal with Julio's contract. Today, the Ravens, it's reported that the Ravens are done with Julio talks. The reason Julio's not traded now is because no one wants to pay the salary and pay what the Falcons are asking. And they're never going to get a one. Like all these things that are out there are just advertisements. You know, when you're driving on the, on the turnpike and you see the billboards, you know, Morgan and Morgan, you see that. Whatever time you hear one of those reports coming from the worldwide leader, they're just advertisements for the team. The team's feeding the reporter this bullshit story. And then the reporters reporting it as, oh, the Falcons want a one. No, no, they would take, they want a four for Julio Jones. What do you think they want? They're asking a one. No one wants to pay it. And then the next sentence is they have a one, but they're not trading them. Are you kidding me? They're not going to get a one. Whole lot of clickbait. If they get the one, like I said, they'll trade him. And I think eventually Leo Jones is going to go somewhere. doesn't matter if these guys are going to publicly recruit him, use social media. At the end of the day, they'll find a deal that works for both sides. The one team right now that I don't know if they know what they're doing is the Green Bay Packers. And that's Aaron Rodgers. And at least right now, this report from Matt Schneidman of The Athletic, the Packers would trade Rodgers if the Packers, quote, believed he was truly committed to never playing for them again. If the Packers wanted to get draft picks and players in return instead of forcing him to retire. So basically, they're calling a bluff. If they move him right now, that's $16 million of 2021 cap space for the Packers, where there would be $21 million of dead money. Problem is, not many trade partners left. Broncos, maybe the Raiders. So the Packers right now, they're showing a lot of arrogance here, Mike. I think ultimately they'll figure this out. I think they should just pay Aaron Rodgers more money, as you and I have discussed. But they're saying, you know what? We don't care. You're not going to go anywhere. Let's see you retire. Let's see you sit a season out, as Peter King was suggesting. What do you think of Green Bay's logic here? I think they got all the cards. I think as much as nobody wants to admit it, they have all the cards in this. Either he starts paying back money if he retires or he plays for them. It's really not complicated. The CBA what was negotiated by the players. When the players have contracts, it favors the the teams. They have to pay back bonus money and the teams can sit. And if they don't show up, it costs it cost them money and it costs them signing bonus payback. So it's double dipped. It discourages players from holding out. The system was built to discourage this. They have no leverage. So Green Bay's just going to use all their leverage. He does them a favor. Don't come in. That's fine. We'll start sending us the checks back. Don't come in. You're not going to force us to trade you. And that's why ultimately Packers will have Aaron Rodgers there in camp. Maybe pissed off, still disgruntled, but eventually they'll figure it out. 
Big news from the world of college basketball and, in fact, all of sports. Because Mike Krzyzewski, moving on, retiring after the 2022 season. He coached Duke for 41 seasons. He's going to be replaced by Duke's associate head coach, John Shire. Uh, the list of accomplishments, Mike, ridiculous. 1,170 Division I wins, first all-time. Five national championships, second all-time. 97 NCAA tournament wins, first all-time. And 12 Final Fours tied for first all-time. I think John Wooden's the greatest college coach of all time. But if you tell me it's Coach K, I understand your argument. Your thoughts on hearing a 74-year-old man is finally stepping aside. Well, I think it's good for him, you know, and I, and I think, look, he, he's he's a remarkable leader. He took a program that wasn't what we know it is today and built it. He's a day he changed. I think the whole system has kind of caught him. I think when you look at Brad Stevens going into the front office, I think what Brad Stevens said about coaching during COVID, I think the last year was really exhausting. I, I think when you look at it, you say to yourself, it's hard. It's really hard to to go through what they went through and, and still have the stanima and still have the ability to keep wanting to do it every day. And I think that there's already a transition in place. I think that works out really well for him. So Coach K will go in the Speaker's Bureau. He's got a great, great lot of ideas about leadership. And uh, I, I wish him, we wish him well. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it was great to watch his teams play and how well they executed and the preciseness of what they did, the fundamentals. You know, I thought the last few years with the one and done wasn't really what he was about. And I think he did it to save the program, but I think he would have been better off sticking to what he did. It's an excellent point, actually. You're right. He's, he's very unlike Calipari in that respect. He wanted to kind of build a team, sustain that. I do like the fact that Shire is going to take over. He's a guy who played for Duke from 06 to 2010, so it's nice to have that passage of time. As we close up shop here in the Pop Culture Minute, my podcast, Cinephile, which was here on Cadence 13, now moves to Metal Arc next week. So I encourage everyone to check that out. I've got reviews of a new film called A Quiet Place Part 2. I just went and saw that in theaters here at AMC Paramus. 70% of movie theaters are now open here in America. So hopefully, if you're Feeling safe and vaccinated, you go check out a movie. I also reviewed Mayor of Easttown on the new Cinephile, which, Mike, you and I discussed. What did you think of the finale of Mayor of Easttown? I thought it was great. I thought the writing was tremendous. Uh, you know, I, I I thought it was the author at first. Never suspected the little kid, even though he showed moments of anger. They gave us enough clues. But at, at 1020, at, when they had, when they put you know, they put the guy in jail and the brother. And I thought, as I said to Miller, I said, this is way too early. There's going to be a twist here. And eventually it did twist. And I thought it was really well done. I thought she was tremendous in it. It tied everything together. It we didn't leave us wanting more. And, you know, I think that, you know, from the opening scene where we saw that somebody running into the, into the, uh, we weren't sure that was the peaking Tom, remember, which ended up being the little kid going in to steal the gun. Uh, I thought it was well done, didn't you? And the acting, I thought, was great. The writing was great, and I thought the acting was great. She's going to win some awards. She's terrific. And she was talking in a New York Times article about her, what a vanity-free performance it was. She said a couple of the posters, you could tell they were airbrushed. She said, no, no, I know how many lines I have in my face. You fixed that. The director at one point said, don't worry, in the, in the sex scene with you and Guy Pierce, we'll remove some of your bulging belly. And she said, no, you don't. Don't you dare. I'm 46 years old. I'm playing this woman who's a little bit heavier than I'm accustomed to. And that's what I want to show here. She's like, this is an average woman here. I, I'm not movie star Kate Winslet. So along with being an actress who can play lots of different emotions, she's also Vanity 3, which is remarkable. And that scene where they go back, Mike, the flashback to what happened to her son, just that shot of the attic. I mean, what a heartbreaking scene that was. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, what a heartbreaking town it was too. I mean, all those people and, and they captured the essence 
of those small little towns in Delaware County. I mean, that actually was in Chester County, but Delaware County, the Wawa, I think she played it really perfectly. And and how all these little towns are intertwined and the stories are all under. And I thought the fact that those girls were getting kidnapped was really ended up being the subplot to the main story. I thought they did a great job with the writing. It was really well done. Yeah, definitely a, a very much true to that area. You're right. Very authentic. The accents of the Pennsylvania people, uh, Flyers t-shirt randomly, the Wawas, all that stuff. Mayor of Easttown, seven episode limited Oh, how series. about the Ocean City t-shirt? We got that in there too. Oh, that's right. There was an Ocean City t-shirt. I did see that at some point. Like, yes, that's from man Lombardi. Uh, congrats on the move. As always, support Mike on VEASAN, The Athletic. You can check out Cinephile, Metal Arc Media, John Skipper, Dan Lebitard's new venture. And as always, support us here on the GM Shuffle on Cadence 13. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram, M. Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esberg. We'll talk to you next week.